Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everyone, Marcus here to tell you more about our move to Spotify. This show, along with all your other LPN favorites, is going exclusive to Spotify on Valentine's Day 2020. That means you'll only be able to listen to this episode, future episodes, and our entire back catalog of shows over on Spotify starting on February 14th. Spotify accounts, oh man, they're free and they're easy to create. You can listen to all of our shows on Spotify right now and you can download episodes for offline listening with your free account. Everything is free. The Last Podcast Network and all your favorite music in one place. What are you waiting for? Listen to The Last Podcast Network free on Spotify. Guys, you know, at least I will say we've made it to the other side of John Waters. Welcome to Pop History, John Waters Part 2. We've made it to the other side, but I dare say that I, as we've all watched all of the other John Waters movies that we did not discuss last time, and what a ride it's been. Yes. To really, I, I watched them all to in where? order. Where were we riding to? Um, I guess. Mainstream land? Mainstream purgatory, and yet, no, I don't, he's I don't still, know. Yeah, it's not. It's just like it's so fun to watch someone get everything that he never necessarily wanted, <laughs> but also still say "fuck you, fuck you, fuck you" to everyone by doing things like Serial Mom and Cecil be demented, and just I. I'm obsessed with John Waters now. Yeah. Oh, I, I really always, I kind of always was, but this really reawoke a love of him. And I also watched some of those movies that I, I had never watched of his. Because I've watched some of his movies 150 times yes. and then other ones never times. Now that's not true. Nope. Now we, now we got a welcome. I'm Jackie Zabrowski. <laughs> welcome, Miss Natalie Jean. Hello. And we've got old, old, uh, old Frankfurter in the corner. Yeah. Hi. Hello. Oh, Frankfurter. Uh, hi. It is Holden McNeely. And yeah, we've been through the gamut. And I have found new favorite John Waters movies this this past week. Um Namely, uh, really loved Crybaby a lot. Oh, my and favorite! It's my very favorite. Yeah, I, I, it's and and we'll get into more about what it is because at the end of the day, um, it's like it's like it's my grease. You know what I mean? Oh, in yes. a lot of ways, and, yeah, and, it's grease on acid. Yeah, and it's just so it's like grease meets um, like a trauma high school movie is what very I kept sure. thinking. Sure. You know, class of Newcomb High meets Greece, especially with the over the top personifications, even more so than than Greece. But the music is so great. I, I just love his sensibilities, his taste, his voice really shining through, especially in these later movies when it's not as much about trying to just be as gross and 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 and, and, tr- and trashy as possible, which I do love. But just seeing the the in a lot of ways, I feel like it made it even more of a stripped down John Waters like hairspray. And things like that. I just feel like I got such a... I love seeing a director like his repertoire 
in terms of a mirror of his own personality. I feel like I know the man so well just by watching movie after movie. Yes, and how he grew. But he really, it, it was it, like Jackie, you were just saying to me before the show, a lot of directors sort of like meld into the mainstream as, the, as they get older, it gets a little bit more um, digestible. But it, it's almost like he hit the peak of mainstream with Crybaby and Hairspray. And then he just started ramping up even more crazy and over the top and gross as he was getting <laughs> getting more money for movies. As they uh-huh. were giving him money, he's like, fuck you guys. <laughs> yeah, you're going to give me money now? Let's see what I'm going to do with it. <laughs> and he still kept giving a middle finger to everything. But I will say, I don't know about you guys, but it has definitely affected my joking and my sensibilities over the past week or so because I have never made so many Fromunda cheese jokes <laughs> in my life. I've been I found myself going back to a time when we used to be truly disgusting comedians and making just horrendous <laughs> jokes and I, out of nowhere to people that don't realize that I'm in the process of being saturated in John Waters right now and they just look at me like I'm a fucking monster. (laughs) Are you coming out right now as a fart comedian? I'm never. I'll (laughs) never be a fart comedian. But I will say I am now definitely obsessed with Divine. I know. It it, it was, and for me, and we're going to get into it, it's polyester. Yeah. The jump between Desperate Living, which was the movie he did before polyester, into polyester, I think... Controversial opinion. I think polyester was my favorite of all the John Waters movies. Okay, all right. I think it was. I think it was definitely my favorite. I was so shocked by it, and in watching the trailer for it, I was like, okay, I get what this is gonna be. But Divine was so good in it. She was so good as a character of being exactly what john waters wanted and needed Mm -hmm. that i feel like you can really see a difference in the movies that he made afterwards because and i think that it was because he didn't have the presence of devon yeah and of someone that come i mean he still had you know uh, mary vivian pierce still mink stole he still had a lot of the dreamlanders which i forgot she was in oh my god (laughs) we will talk about patty hearst i just i feel like there has to be something missing where all the years that we all did comedy together, I feel like it would be the same as if we tried to do Murder Fist without, like, if I tried to write something without Holden or if Holden tried to put something up on a stage without Henry or I or Ed or or any of the people that we all did comedy with because there's just an element that will forever be missing that even though the movies are amazing and you can fill in the void with other amazing people that choose and man he would get huge actors to be in these later movies yes because people wanted to be in the later movies right but it, I think that there's just something missing because Divine mm-hmm. in polyester, Divine in hairspray, hairspray, hairspray. too. I, it, she is like such. She's so charming in that movie. I like. I want her to be my mom. Yes, that's the I, I, wild arc to her performance in his films. The whole initial thing with Divine was she was again. We said what Godzilla meets Jane Mansfield. It was yes. this monster fashion thing this like crazy caricature thing and then to see her in hairspray be a mom that we all want to have it's so crazy and and it was fun that he also played the uh uh what's it what he went by glenn right not yes 
when he played yes. the uh, bad guy at the end of the yes. movie. Yes, yeah. wow, so fun. Also, with the fake yeah. teeth and really just like hit for the for the stanzas. What is it? Stands? <laughs> I was trying to make up sports thing. I don't know. A sports oh thing. Hit for the stands. You got yeah, it. Yeah, ask, ask us. We'll Jerk give you the, all the sports. Yep. Yeah. You, you smack the pole and sock it to the to the to big the big stands. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for big, sure. That's guy, definitely a sports the, reference. The block man. I guess, I guess that's we should just baseball. jump in. <laughs> we gotta just jump in. I'm, I'm going right past because we do have a lot to talk about today. Absolutely. I feel like we could have done four episodes. I, I could easily. do a whole episode on Cry Baby alone. Sure. I really could. I do want to, and I'm saying this, I'm saying this to all you guys that are listening right now, I would like to in the future revisit Hairspray and how it went from a movie into a musical into the other movie. Yeah. That I want to see that spectrum so we're go- we'll get to that someday cool. what a charming piece of work that thing is before we get to hairspray though of course we got to go back to uh what you were, t- were talking about before polyester. polyester let's set up the stage here too in our last episode um if it's been a minute since you listened to it uh he just finished putting out his quote-unquote trash trilogy he went i think as far as he could go at least at that point in his career in terms of making the art house trash film that he'd been working on. He, he essentially perfected it in so many ways with that trilogy. And now he's going quote unquote into the mainstream polyester though, a fascinating artifact because it really is in between both worlds in a lot of ways. It's, it's part what, where he was and in a lot of ways where yes. he was going. And because it, it is such a hybrid of both of them because there are times that I was very, weirdly into it as just a regular movie outside of a John Waters movie. You know what right. I mean? Where there were moments that I saw Divine shine as mm-hmm. an as an actor too. Mm-hmm. And it's still truly abhorrent <laughs> behaviors. So here's the IMTB synopsis. A suburban housewife's world falls apart when she finds that her pornographer husband is serially unfaithful to her, her daughter is pregnant, and her son is suspected of being a foot fetishist who's been breaking local women's feet. He's the stomper. He's the stomper. (laughs) He's the stomper. It, of course, stars Divine across from ex-teen idol Tab Hunter. Who also performed the music in Polyester, the music and the main title was written by Debbie Harry. Which again, all of these weird people that are in the Dreamlander scope, yeah. there's so much Debbie right. Harry. I know. Uh, and of course this has the odorama gimmick, which entails viewers smelling what's on the screen via scratch and sniff cards as a tribute to William Castle. Now, we talked about William Castle in the last episode, but just to reiterate again, he would do weird promotional gimmicks such as giving every customer a certificate for a $1,000 life insurance policy from Lloyd's of London in case they died during a viewing of the film Macabre. <laughs> um, we, we mentioned the House on Haunted Hill skeleton with red-lit eyes that flew over the audience. That was called Emergo. So he did uh, Odorama, uh, but it, so everything has to have a name. There was a movie called The Tingler. They attached vibrating motors to some of the seats for when the creature quote unquote got loose in the audience at the end of the movie that was called we need Percepto. to do a whole William Castle I mean, there's 100%. no way we can't anything from that era really yes all of the it's so great I didn't even know this stuff existed for for 13 ghosts filmed in Illusiono each member of the audience got a handheld ghost viewer slash remover it was like a red lens blue lens glasses thing this was my favorite though and I mentioned it before but I'll give you the quote because it's from John Waters 
This was for a movie called Homicidal. There was a fright break in the movie, like a break, where you could decide whether or not you were too afraid to go on. Um, and if you were too afraid to keep going, um, you had to do as follows. Uh, William Castle, this is, a, this is a quote from John Waters. William Castle simply went nuts. He came up with Coward's Corner, a yellow cardboard booth manned by a bewildered theater employee in the lobby. When the fright break was announced and you found out that you could and you found that you couldn't take it anymore, you had to leave your seat and in front of the entire audience follow yellow footsteps up the aisle, bathed in a yellow light. Before you reached Coward's Corner, you crossed yellow lines with the stenciled message, Cowards keep walking. You passed. You passed a nurse in a yellow uniform uh, who would offer a blood pressure test. All the while, a recording was blaring, watch the chicken, watch him shiver in Coward's <laughs> Corner. As the audience howled, you had one, had to go through one final indignity. At Coward's Corner, you were forced to sign a yellow card stating, I am a bona fide coward. Okay, okay. You know what? This is how you create mass shooters. <laughs> or, you, or it develops, if you're young enough, it's just a fetish <laughs> I think it's or you can only come when fun. like there's a, a nurse laughing at you also I think it's kind of fun because it, it um John Waters obsession with William Castle goes round full circle because in the show feud which is about Betty Davis and the Joan Crawford feud between them John Waters actually plays William Castle in it because Castle was a director of Joan Crawford in a movie called straight jacket so he got to also play William Whoa. Castle as well, which is all, I, mean, I thought for someone that is obsessed, he, you know, he's a huge fan of his. He said that he ended up, he got to meet his widow. He knows his daughter, Terry. And uh, it just has always That's inspired great. him to do all these insane gimmicks. And yep. I guess that was the, it went better than meeting uh, Little Richard. Little Richard. <laughs> for sure. He even said with the tingler, he would, he would seek out the chair that had the electric wiring on it so that he could, uh, you know, get the, get the true the experience. Like he was, a devoted fan of this guy's gimmicks. So that's why he used the odorama in polyester, which every time Divine started sniffing on screen, it was like, <laughs> oh God. And then it's like, it was always something truly disgusting. But what's ridiculous is that this movie was still only rated R. And it was for, it was John Waters' first rated R movie because the other movies were either X or NC-17. Mm -hmm. And it was also Waters' first use of the Steadicam technology. So it wasn't just him with his like little camera following around people. And it really did show because I think I didn't realize how much, how jarring it was, the other movies right. of the camera always moving. But I think that added to how disgusted I was. Mm -hmm. Right, because you got a real clear shot of stuff. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, just like I talked about how the sound issues in the original movies just made me more nauseous as well. Yes. <laughs> so Divine was really channeling Elizabeth Taylor in the movie that he really was trying to inspired sympathy instead of awe and identification rather than horror. And it was the first time that Divine was truly trying to connect with an audience. And that is such a fun dynamic as well because usually he didn't give a fuck about anyone identifying with anything that he's doing because it's very difficult to identify with that. He was trying to openly be like, I'm the weirdo. I'm the fucking filth weirdo. But in this, I felt myself feeling for Divine through the entire movie. But yeah, and I, I imagine that that could just come because time had passed and Divine was older and wanted to actually, along with John Waters, they were making an actual, not that the others weren't actual movies, but this is... 
something they're actually not just doing uh, on a whim, kind of. Right. It was the first movie that ever had a an actual budget, yeah. even though, and it was still shot in Maryland, so they saved a bunch of money shooting it in Maryland as well. And this was also the same year, too, when John Waters wrote his first book, Shock Value. Oh. So the memoir covered the making of classic midnight movies like Pink Flamingos and Female Trouble and chronicled his childhood in Baltimore. So asked when he started writing, he says... That's what I really am. I'm a writer more than anything. That's how I could discover forbidden worlds. Life magazine corrupted me because I read about beatniks and Tennessee Williams and drug addicts and homosexuals and everything. So that's when he first started. He's got a lot of books out. Uh huh. Well, he's a great lover of books. I mean, that's one of the big things about John Waters. He sports a collection of over eight thousand books. And one of his one of the big meme quotes that he's put out in recent years is, "If you go home with somebody and they don't have books, <laughs> don't fuck them. Don't sleep with people who don't read." Which I Which love that quote. Yeah, is wonderful and <laughs> accurate. I agree. <laughs> also, I forgot to mention that in Mister Know It All, which is a book of his that came out last year. He actually explained that polyester and the idea of odorama not only was it inspired by William Castle, but it was also because of one critic's warning to readers in about his earlier movies. If you ever see Water's name on a marquee, walk on the other side of the street and hold your nose, which is why he wanted to do the odorama. He's like, oh, you want to smell it? You want to smell what we're doing here? I mean, we'll let technically, you smell it. that is a great advertisement for <laughs> <Yeah>. his movies. <laughs> uh, by the way, the smells included flatulence, gasoline, skunk, new car smell, and dirty shoes, among others. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what, what, I guess before we move on to Hairspray, uh, uh, Jackie, you said this was maybe your favorite from cramming all these movies. Uh, wh- what about it? Wh- why, why do you think that is? I think it was because I felt for Divine so much and because it wasn't just like, look at this monster, look at all these monsters, even though they were all monsters in the movie <laughs> and it was very over the top. But I, it was just the entire time I felt bad for her. I felt bad for all of the things that were happening to her and and that none of, she didn't deserve any of the, I mean, she had a, she was an alcoholic, like a ridiculous cartoonish version of an alcoholic. But she just kept begging for help. And when her husband leaves her in the beginning for Mink Stole, who has white people dreads in it, they have this <laughs> ludicrous affair. But then they just like, they do things to torture her, like drive around in the neighborhood with a speaker, like a megaphone, talking about how much she weighs and and how much she drinks and publicly humiliating her, calling her on the phone as if they're having sex and both of them like ah ah into the phone just to haunt her and it was just like they're, stop which is again that's a he does that in serial mom yes as well which there's he he does create For characters one five pussy way <laughs> i love he does serial create mom. a lot of, <laughs> he creates a lot of characters who have to go through a lot and you feel for them they they are tortured in his movies often and it's an emotional torturing more than a physical a lot yes. of the time which is really sometimes hard to watch and i think this is where he really <laughs> turned into and leaned into which now forever makes me think of Fred Durst the fanatic which I talked about on talking TV it's the anti-villain where you want bad things to happen to all these people because you're rooting for this person even though that person isn't technically great but you still are rooting for them because it's like but they also had to go through a bunch of shit too yeah and uh we're just going to say on air currently Jackie (laughs) is not 
comparing Fred Durst to John Waters. No, 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 no. No, I just <laughs> As I keep a thinking about it. I just keep thinking but, about the fanatic. Which also, please watch the fanatic. <laughs> I would listen to a John Waters rap rock. Band. That's true. Yes. I would definitely. Oh yeah, new new metal. John Waters would be oh, fantastic. Um, all right. I am so excited to talk about hairspray. Can we please get into it? This yes. is like one of my favorite. Um, films that I got to see this past week. And I will I, say confession alert, I had never seen the original Hairspray And before. I thought I had, but I realized very quickly into how because of how much I was fucking loving it that I had never really either. I think it was just something that would, would show up on TV from time to time and maybe see a little clip here and there, but never had I actually sat down to watch but it. But I was obsessed with the musical because as a fat theater girl, <laughs> of course, I, I sang all the songs from the musical. I, I've seen it three or four four times like I love the musical and I didn't realize honestly that the a lot of the songs weren't in this version of yeah. the movie on the opposite I saw I saw the original a bunch of times and had never seen the musical but huh. I did end up watching it oh, nice. even though it's not directed by John Waters he's but in he it still for, is a, the writer of it he he also shows up at the very beginning of the movie hell yeah as hell a yeah. flasher and that's he's wonderful so good in the original hairspray as mm-hmm. the Psycho, uh, hypno, uh, hip, trying hypnosis. to make her not love a black man anymore. <laughs> just oh, yes. it was so so good. Well, wasn't he shocking her? Just yes. going yes. black man, yes, black man. Yes, yes. <laughs> it was so funny Christ. and so yeah, such good satire. <laughs> um, talk about you know really a movie where he really has something to say about race relations in America. It just wonderfully satirizes it. Of course, Hairspray starring Ricky Lake. I believe this was her first Dreamlander appearance. Uh, Divine Debbie Harry crushing it. Yeah, I forgot she was in it, and I was like, oh, "Man, he gets all these cool yes, like, yes. cult icon people to just show up in his movie." What's fun about casting Ricky Lake too is that she had no idea who John Waters or Divine was, oh, knew wow. nothing about it, and all that she had seen was that they were looking for a. a they put out a casting call looking for a quote ample girl and. <laughs> That, and no, almost nobody showed up to it because at the time, no one wanted to see themselves as a bigger woman or say on paper, like, I could go in for a bigger woman's role. And weirdly enough, I still have issues with this today that just like I look around the casting room of when I go in for bigger women parts and it's just like, these women are not bigger women. Like, what is <laughs> I, I just I don't get what's going on here because it is still something that is uh, totally, you know, I, uh, problematic in our Society. Do you know where Ricky like Kate like was she already acting at that point or she just decided she, to act for this movie? She was starting to act, but she had not like like this is her first foray into it. And when she she said, "When I met Divine, I didn't know what to expect. He really didn't like me at first <laughs> because he wanted to play my part. He wanted to play both the mother and the daughter, like he did in Female Trouble. But eventually, what I love is that they created a mother daughter bond, and Divine even taught Ricky Lake how to walk in heels. That's amazing. <laughs> yes, it was originally ta- uh, called uh, White Lipstick, and it was actually loose based on real events. The Corny Collins show was actually based on the Buddy Dean show, which was a local dance party program that predated American Bandstand. If you remember our episode about American Bandstand, it was Dick Clark who largely integrated the show. And before then, it was um, very segregated uh, with blacks and whites having different dance shows. That's why is because he wrote, so John Waters wrote an article talking about because he was so obsessed with the Buddy Dean show that the reason why it went under is because they refused to integrate And it was because they used to have Negro days. And since they wouldn't allow, since the network wouldn't allow 
like for them to integrate on other like white people days. So then the white kids started going on Negro days. And since they were doing that, the the network got so many death threats, got bomb threats, got all that. They just shut the whole show down. Yeah. Which is so this is John Waters attempt at saying this is what could have happened for the Buddy Dean show if they had just integrated yeah. they should have integrated good thing we've got all this figured out now <laughs> yeah oh yeah it's all solved so yeah he, he waters used to love watching these teen dance shows back in the day and it included many of the novelty songs and dances that we see in the movie the continental the fly the bug the roach <laughs> so fun. tail feather the madison uh waters said uh i wanted to bring them back i wanted the fact that that was sort of a forgotten period when every dance was a gimmick dance so i had all those records they were my favorite records i used to get them out late at night and after a few drinks put them on and sometimes even dance so i picked those songs first and sort of wrote the movie around them and even refers to this as his dance movie people get confused and think it's his first musical whereas crybaby was his first musical this was his self-proclaimed dance movie yeah it's not a straight music there are a lot of musical moments in the movie, but the actual like actors don't go sing their own songs the way that it became eventually in the musical version of it. Which made it so unique because you rarely get that where where the, it's just about the ta- the dancing, you know. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, mo- most every musical or whatever it's it's got singing and and everything else around it. But it was so much fun just to see a showcase of this time in music because you know and we it's so funny because now we have it still you know you've got like your specific dances like the superman and all that stuff it's more on like a in a hip-hop direction i guess uh than than it was but they even have one there's that country there's like a line dance thing that everyone's doing on tiktok tiktok's really bringing back the dance they by are the way. Bring, it's bringing that back and it, i think it, i started watching because i was talking about this I was like i wish there were more shows like this because that's how you find out like what are the new dances like what are the kids doing and jeff specifically said he's like that's what tiktok is yes so i started looking at tiktok again it's like you're right if we need to have the pulse uh of what's going on with the kids these days you have to look to apps like that because there aren't shows like this we should anymore. just go start hanging out outside of high schools <laughs> I, I will let's do it yeah i won't get i won't get put into a jail by the way uh in order to pitch the movie john waters got up in front of the executives and just did all the dances Oh, I would totally watch I that. I love that. <laughs> that makes me think of too. I I'm very curious about John Waters and his personal life. Like, mm-hmm. do you think he's really got a weird sex life or do you think he's one of those people who puts it all out on the camera and he's like actually kind of tame? You know, he even I I feel like he's he's actually pretty uh, soft-spoken and chill and in real life. He even talked about how when it came to actors, um he was like people have a misconception. They think the people in real life that are really loud and boisterous would make good actors, but it's always the quiet ones. Right. It's all, you know, and and I feel like it's also it's it's the it's the the evangelical uh pastor on live television screaming about you know uh, uh, the evils of homosexualities and, and stuff that's the guy that's on meth in the hotel room with a, a male prostitute you know what I mean right. it's kind of I feel like similar it's like it's the guy making the cra- the crazy movies about drugs and sex and everything that in real life is probably is an avid book reader yeah and, right yeah <laughs> I think that's probably true yeah 
And I like, so in the movie, they also do the dirty boogie at one point. And that is actually a dance that John Waters got kicked off of the Buddy Dean show for doing because it was a black person dance. And I love that he definitely included the dirty boogie in the movie that Tracy does Mm. to signify of like, no, we are going to integrate. And they were actually integrating the two different like dance styles of white versus black style dancing mm-hmm. in the movie before they were even saying what was going on with it, like before it started integrating. And that was his way of saying like, most people don't even know because there's no fucking difference between a white people dancing and black. I mean, there is because I can't fucking dance, but that's just a person by person basis. Sure. So it's like he was already saying that with the dirty boogie, which the dirty boogies are great. It's I think it's all about the amount of ass you shake is really what it is. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they they often I think at that time put on the idea of like being too sensual on black kids, mostly because they're afraid of sexuality in this country because we were founded on um, repressed people. Yes. Um, anyway, <laughs> what I do uh, what I do love I though do. is that it is it's like this is 1988, and they don't even talk about. It. Of course, they call her fat and all this stuff, but she is with the hottest dude, quote unquote, in town. Who yeah. looks exactly like Elvis. Like it, it, it actually blows yes. my mind how much that guy looks like fucking Elvis Presley. Yes, and that it was just he's like, oh well, she's a new it thing. I'll suck on her face. That it would there was never a question of like her being like. But I'm fat. She's like, fuck right, yeah, never, you're going to suck on not, my face. It's not part of the main storyline. Like, I love that. Yeah, it's great. It's fucking wonderful um, and refreshing. And they don't really do that in the musical version. They, mm-hmm. they like to really focus on it. But see, musical. but at the same time, that still spoke to me because I was like, maybe one day I'll be the fat girl that the hot guy likes. Oh. And you know what? <laughs> now it is. It did come That's true. That's right, Jackie. You're beautiful. There you go. Uh, I wonder if that footage exists anywhere of him dancing on that show. I know. That would be amazing. Um, I will say the school scenes were filmed at Perry High School, which was the Perry Hall High School, which is the largest public high school in Baltimore County. And uh, he ch- specifically chose the year 1962 because it was still essentially the 50s before, quote, everything changed, as Waters put it, due to the advent of drugs, hippies, and the Kennedy assassination. And uh, he also talked about, it was like, uh, I think it was maybe around the 80s or so when 60s fashion was coming back into style, and he was just like, oh no, don't make me live through it again. I think he really hated the hippie movement and everything yeah. in the 60s. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, when it comes to the, the Negro Day stuff and everything, Waters said, I felt that to ignore that fact would have been really inauthentic. I don't know if that's the correct word. But if Hollywood had made this movie, they would have had blacks on the show and just ignored the fact that none of the shows, bandstands, didn't have blacks on them either. None of them did then. And basically the problem was the all the music was black. All the dancing came from blacks. Black singers uh, were on the show all the time as entertainers, but they couldn't dance. And it wasn't because the kids didn't want it. Their parents didn't want it. And it's just so funny to see the the double standard of racism. And it's so apparent in this with, um, what's her name? The woman um, who, who hosts... Motormouth Maybell. Motormouth Maybell. And how no blacks are allowed on the show. Everybody, please welcome Motormouth Maybell right. to come in and MC. That was a reality. They just had to deal with yes. and how surreal must that have been for her to be a part of the show knowing that like they were at the same time being like your children are not allowed to be here because yuck yeah but <laughs> here 
you can you can come up and be a part of this show. It's ridiculous. As long as you play like the good black lady. It's ridiculous, and it still is kind of like that with with uh, at least with racists in this country. Uh, there's so, oh yeah, it's so bizarre that the, it's a very strange mental separation that some people experience, and it's inherited and it's gross and and um, this and this film deals in it. It's so funny. A, a film called Hairspray with this really fun music, but the whole core of it is exactly what you're talking about, Natalie. It's it's really a lovely magic trick that this film plays that I didn't even realize. I just thought it was like Hairspray. It's oh, it's going to be a fun early '60s uh, jaunt. You know what I mean? And having no idea that it really spoke to something more powerful. Um, which, which is true with John Waters in general. Uh-huh. In his earlier stuff, I don't know if he was trying to be as poignant with it, but it's always been sort of, of a subversive look at like the grotesque side of certain parts of like quote unquote proper culture uh-huh. um, which is like so like a total punk rock thing to do and I really appreciate that sort of uh, expression of art. Yeah, to show like how gross we can be as a society, and I mean, Crybaby. I feel like Crybaby and 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 Serial Mom, which we're about to get to, they they on their on their face seem like one thing, but really are talking about the death penalty and right. and things of that nature. That that uh, I think is just wonderfully wonderfully done in in his movies. Um, also, by the way, got to shout out the Beatniks in the movie that take Tracy and her boyfriend in. Uh, they are played, of course, by uh, Rick Ocasek from The Cars. Rest in peace. And uh, the singer Pia Zadora. I love that scene. Uh, Waters said, I wanted to be a beatnik. It was hard to be a beatnik in suburban Baltimore. I I could imagine. But I wanted to be one. And I read all the books about them and everything and read Life magazine about beatniks. And I just really wanted to be one. That's why I have the whole scene with the whole beatnik scene in the movie. Uh, Also, two other little cast fun facts. Sure. Um, The chick who plays Penny... Her name's Leslie Ann Powers. She sort of just disappeared after the movie. Mm-hmm. She never acted again. And people from the movie don't really even know what where she is. Oh, so wow. she kind of just removed herself completely from society. <laughs> and then, which is fine, you know, good for her. But, uh, and then the other one is uh, the chick who plays Amber Von Tussle is the pop singer Vitamin C. Oh, yeah, Whoa. baby. Oh, yeah. As we go on. We remember. Also, I have to say that Penny, and and I'm saying this only as a, a compliment, looks just like you at that age. Did you not know? Like, I was just like, I kept thinking, I was just like, man, she looks so much like young Natalie. I could see that, totally. I could see that. Amazing. I like it. I I wore, I wore my hair like that all the time. <laughs> I bet you did. Um, But yeah, but no, it's weird because Vitamin C was a pop singer in the late, uh, 90s like maybe 2000-ish and she did put a smile on your face Hell like that yeah. song <laughs> this movie came out in 88 and she was a high schooler in that so that wow. means like 12 years later it's such a weird transition in my brain to think like 80s 88 seems so long ago to me but I was like an enough of a human being when she is like wow she, yeah, she it, went it really to college for acting yeah. and then decided to change into becoming a musician yeah 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 
All right, uh, go on. Sorry. Oh, no. All good. I was just going to talk about how ridiculously important hair was back in the day, even more so than it is now, in terms of how it drew a line in the sand that people don't realize now when it comes to just how you how you did, did your hair back in the day and what that stood for politically and everything mm-hmm. and culturally. Waters said, around 1962 in Baltimore, all the girls had those big hairdos. And then suddenly, a few of the really hip ones started doing their hair straight, which you can see evidence of in throughout the movie especially in that beatnik scene they talk about it and people panicked and it was called going joe meaning joe college and people would say i don't know should i be joe i can't decide i don't know what to do it was a major thing and what happened then is the kids that did do the ironed hair eventually became hippies and the ones with the teased hair got married and became probably very middle class those are the two options huh yeah (laughs) that's it that's all you get back in the day it was like short hair long hair big hair uh straight hair and, and that was it i mean she got and put into into the special education class because her hair was too big <laughs> that which that so scene is pretty funny um and that i mean i that i think that actually is what created john waters because those mm. it, it's the same with the i hate to keep using the punk scene as reference but it is really similar and like that erupts because people are being corralled into these like right. two or three options and people are like but i'm weird i don't fit into those and I think what you're saying is fucked up because you're saying you have to look this way but it doesn't matter how you actually act in real life it doesn't matter how, what you intend to do with your life it doesn't matter if you hurt people as long as you look this one way right mm-hmm. and so John Waters kind of has he's important because he fights against that tide and then he says things like I made a family movie it <laughs> was PG a shock I remember when it got that rating I wanted to commit suicide <laughs> <laughs> He's still at least got a few really gross shots in it, like it the sit still, scene. It's still a weird movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. definitely weird. And he also, uh, he said that his favorite all-time review of Hairspray was Dan Edelstein in Rolling Stone. It says, it's a family movie both the Bradys and the Mansons could adore. Ah. All right, I like that. Yeah. So this is by far the most successful Waters film to date, and this leads to something that will had never happened since, and it definitely never happened before, his next film be, is in a bidding war between studios. That's right. Studios <laughs> are clamoring, fighting to get his next wow. movie, which is a shocker. And that next movie would become Crybaby, a teen musical romantic comedy starring Johnny Depp, released in 1990 that I had never seen before this week. And it might be my favorite John Waters movie at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe Serial Mom, amazing as well. Also had yes. not seen that yes. until this week. And um, man, did I love Serial Mom. Uh, Also, there was this line that says about him going mainstream after the moderate success of Hairspray. It seems seems that someone thought it was a good idea to let the man who defended an act of bestiality by quipping, I think we made the chicken's life better. It got to be in a movie. It got (laughs) fucked. Have a career in Hollywood. Oh, man. Sorry, just say I love that. Oh, yeah. You're right. You gave him the keys to Hollywood now. Yeah. I mean, there's people have done far worse with and gotten the keys to Hollywood. Yes. So. <laughs> Absolutely. So Cry Baby, uh, tell, tell, stop me if you've heard this one before. Set in 1950s in Baltimore, of course. The story is about the love between a delinquent quote or quote unquote drape and good go- girl or quote unquote square. So Greece, I get it. But it's like, um, I, yeah, I, I think I, I, this is my grease, I think, really. Uh, it was inspired by fear-mongering headlines, warning of drapes in the Baltimore sun, as well as a story about the murder of a young drapette named Carolyn Wells. 
Waters said it was very, this is what happens to girls who hang out with drapes. And claims that um, the the boy that lived across the street from him, we talked about this in the last episode, he always worked on his hot rod and uh, he uh, Waters was low-key obsessed with him because his parents like hated him and he was afraid <laughs> of him and um, you know he was just this drape and he said that that guy was Crybaby. Oh, that's I got great. Johnny Depp is hot as fuck. That is the I said, and I said this last time. <laughs> the only time I've ever been attracted to Johnny Depp, and yeah. I wanted him to be my boyfriend so badly. Yeah. I wanted to be Tracy Lords in this movie, yeah. and I wanted to yeah. him to be my boyfriend. Tracy Except Lords. that I was definitely the hatchet face. Let's all be oh, real please. here. Uh, the way yes. hatchet face dances with her boyfriend in this, where she's rubbing her face on his chest, and they're just like grinding on each other. It's like fuck yeah. Hatchet well, yeah, face. but you don't have a hatchet face. That I mean, I that I got ag- all the other parts. Though. That again too. Uh, bringing up what you were talking about with Ricky Lake uh, the when he needed this character filled because that was originally going to be Divine uh, he yes. put yeah, he put out an ad that just said, um, looking for an actress that has the body of Jane Mansfield and I think it's an alarming face yes. that she's proud of yes <laughs> proud of having an alarming face which is co- which is cool as shit I mean like you know I mean that's why when there's the, when they're in the scene in the when they're on trial when the judge says it's a shame about your face and she responds there's, there's nothing, nothing the matter, matter with, with my, my face, face. <laughs> I got, got character <laughs> <laughs> I can I, I can I can quote most of this movie Hatchet <laughs> face is so great in this it's also like for as big big of an over the top comedy as it is like I said earlier it's like Grease meets uh, like class of Newcomb High it is so you are so right it is so sexy Amy LeCain mm-hmm. is oh, yeah. super sexy Tracy Lord I was like, oh my god. Hachimachi. Yeah, that's a hachimachi. Good god. And I would say, um, hold on, I think I, I agree with you with the Grace thing, um, but I would go so far to say Crybaby's a little bit more of a feminist movie because mm. in Cry I mean on Greece, uh Sandy gives is, up her everything. Right, she changes her identity to please him. And in this that link, the main character, um, what's her name? Blanking on her, her character's name, but I want to say it's Sandy, but I know that's not Grace. Sandy. <laughs> but she, at the, at the very start of the movie, is fascinated by. She wants to be a bad girl, and she was thrust into this sort of, um, you know, polite over overture of life. You know, where she's Allison, Allison, Allison yeah. Vernon Williams. So she was given, <laughs> she was given this life, and she really wants to be bad. So she immediately is already like a, a, a more feminist character in that she changes because she fucking wants to change and she's like attracted to the bad boy because of that. And she's the one that like gets him out of jail and probably my favorite sequence in the film, the uh, Please, jailer. Please, Mr. Jailer. Yeah, it's man. Like, so fun. On top Get of that it. hot rod. Oh my God, it's so sad. And that whole- Also sidebar, Iggy Pop in this movie, yes. which Iggy Pop, he plays his step, or he plays his grandfather in it. Iggy Pop is Marcus Parks. <laughs> you did. You texted a photo of it. I was still and been like, no, this is Marcus. Him and I was when like, he's You're washing right. himself in the tub. I was oh, like, you caught me in happened? my birthday suit. <laughs> it really is Marcus. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And of course, Iggy Pop, who Marcus absolutely loves. I'm sure he. I sent him. The, the I sent him the text with it, and he goes, "What I could be, Belvedere Ricketts." <laughs> that was his response. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, so I love it. good. I also want Turkey Point to be my home. Like I love 
everything about their their family. Yes, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and of course he wrote "Crybaby" because I think that we made mention of this last week. He was completely inspired and obsessed with Elvis growing up, with the way he moved, with his music, and he said that it was actually Elvis who made him first realize he was gay. He said, "Is there anything more rock and roll than whacking off for the first time to Elvis?" Hell Presley? yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Uh, it was shot on a budget of eight million dollars, which was uh, wow. a, which was more than previous, but still wasn't a, a super comfortable budget. This was also big deal because we forget about we we've seen Johnny Depp go through such an evolution to unfortunately where he's at now. Like, this was Johnny Depp's bad. Yeah. first starring role, having been the star of the hit TV show Twenty One Jump Street. We're old enough to remember how big of a deal Twenty One Jump Street was, and in terms of making Johnny Depp a household heartthrob situation and it was just such a big TV show at the time but you don't realize like he wasn't the film actor especially character actor that he's become now and this movie really put his name on the map in that sense if it wasn't for Crybaby I don't think uh, he would have gotten the relationship he he got with Tim Burton and got Edward Scissorhands that's how his uh, how Tim Burton's eye was caught was because he was in a John Waters movie and that's how he got Edward Scissorhands and also Johnny Depp doesn't sing in the movie. Obviously, it's yeah. dubbed. Yeah. But he also was very nervous about the dancing on set. He said, I mean, I just don't dance. I don't get it. So John Waters, of course, was like, ah, you'll be fine. Don't worry. Waters was right. After convincing Depp that mocking his image would be yes. the antidote to typecasting, the star's performance caught the eye of Tim Burton. Because that was the whole thing, is that Johnny Depp was so scared of being put into a box at that point in time. And John Waters gave him the opportunity of like, all right, you don't want to be in the box? Do this. Totally. Depp even commented that it makes fun, quote, it makes fun of all that stuff I sort of hate. It makes fun of all the Teen Idol stuff. It makes fun of all the screaming girls. And for Waters, he actually didn't know who Depp was when he uh, was when he discovered him for the part. Uh, Waters said, "I was writing Crybaby, and I thought, who can I get to play this? I went and bought every teen magazine, and you were on the cover of every one of them." He did an interview with Johnny Depp, by the way, which is a lot of fun to read. I said, "This guy looks perfect. I didn't know anything about you, and then read these magazines, and they said that you were a juvenile delinquent. I thought this is great." <laughs> <laughs> but again, it, it really is such a, a- an interesting uh, case study compared to Greece because again in Greece there's the scene where um, Sandy and Danny are in the convertible and he is trying to grab her boob without asking her and in this movie when they're hooking up in a like pretty hot scene on the the blanket he asks her like four times yeah. if it's okay if he touches her breast he fucking crybaby <laughs> gets consent yes, and we stand that we stand consent we stand consent and I we just stand <laughs> consent I honestly do just love the over-the-top performance that Depp delivers in this in this movie. I think it is just so funny. All all of that. And just the whole thing when she's like drinking the tears. Everything they do with yeah. the teardrops and everything is so That's funny. That's why I think it's a shame, though, that he said that this was the movie that he watched that made him never watch his own movies again wow. because he hated his performance in it. I thought he was when great. I think Depp? it's exactly what he was supposed to be. Johnny Depp said that? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I thought well. he was awesome. 
Um, of course, the film was difficult to make. Uh, it was a lot bigger this time. Van Smith talked about, you know, his um, one of his big designers. Uh, he talked about how they had to, for the first time, really answer to a studio in a way they never had before. There were a ton of tech issues. There was uh, an on-set flooding incident. One of my favorite anecdotes was apparently the FBI showed up to arrest Tracy Lords. I don't know the exact reason why, but it had something to do with a federal case against her. And Waters literally just said every person on that set had been arrested. So, so she was great. in very good company and, and well taken care of in that sense. Tracy Lords and herself, she's amazing. But yeah. she she also, she started stripping very young um, with a fake ID. And, to, yes. and also she started being in porn super young. But she's a fucking badass. Yeah. And I think as much as I think the other ones, it changes over time. Now, this is the first movie that John Waters had done since Divine had passed as well. Yes. As, as we made mention that Divine was supposed to play Hatchet Face, which I think it would have been a this would have been a completely different movie if Hatchet Face had yes. been played by Divine. I think it would have been a much more John Waters movie mm -hmm. in the same vein, though, because it does take you out of the element but I do like the fact that they must up Hatchet Face's mm -hmm. face more so because she was like 15 years older than everyone else right. uh, on the set. Right. And then they like she has an interesting face, but they really exaggerated it with all of the makeup. Mm. Yeah. And I think she has um, albinoism or one of those um, disorders. So they kind of highlighted the differences that she has yeah. in a way that really made it. Yeah made her a hatchet face and she's not that's not what her face looks like really. <laughs> but I think it's um, about time that we start talking about pussy willow <laughs> wait real quick before we go I just want to say uh, <laughs> Patty Hearst is in pretty much all of his later movies and she I love her so much in Crybaby she's such a funny character yeah she I plays, think that she's even better in Serial Mom yeah she's okay so now we'll go to Serial Mom because she's also great in that yeah so I will say unfortunately Crybaby was a flop which really bums me out but just like all of his other movies it has since become a cult classic and that's when we get into Serial Mom a sweet mother finds herself participating in homicidal activities when she sees the occasion call for it and God, of course this Kathleen film Turner. This this film, too, is satirizing true crime documentaries and stories in a way that I don't think they really had been. I feel like, again, he was very ahead of his time in terms of the popularity of true crime that would boom later on, thanks to, of course, other shows, uh, another show on our network, The Last Podcast Network. The, this, uh, this movie actually signified a lot of firsts for John Waters. It was the first sets to be built from scratch. It was the first use of a stuntman. It had the highest budget of $13 million, and also it was the first casting of a mainstream Hollywood star in the lead female role. As Kathleen Turner, man. Woo! And it's also the most amount of money the director ever spent for music rights. Ah, they did say, he did say this was actually the budget that he felt finally was enough money to make the movie he wanted to make with the 13 yes. million, which is still very low when it comes to film budgets, by the way. Oh, yeah. But he still said that he, he said, about the slickness of Serial Mom because this is the first in his mind the first slick movie he made. I would He's, agree with that. He said, yeah. I always wanted them to look like Hollywood movies. I just didn't know how to do it. 
But then he called his technique nothing more than failed style. Mm. But he does return back to his underground raw vision when I it comes lo- back around to Ce- Cecil be demented. Yeah. But we'll talk about that later. I loved the the look and feel of Serial Mom. This was one of the biggest surprises for me. I had never seen it before, and I just abs- I just thought it was hilarious and just so fun. Waters said, I always thought of it as a true crime parody. I've always read true crime books. I used to go to trials, and I was a true crime crime buff and every movie I make is a satire of some genre and I'd never really done a true crime movie it was kind of a little bit ahead of its time because in a way it's like OJ now there's scenes out of it that look right out of OJ OJ hadn't even happened yet court TV hadn't really happened yet by the way I wonder if John Waters likes last podcast to the left we should hit him up and find out I bet he totally <laughs> listens to it. he's probably listening to this right now you oh think my God, so I hope so. hi John <laughs> um, but yeah he, he had to battle with the studio a lot as well on this movie so again I think that slickness and everything um, uh, probably ha- had its ish- you know its backfires in that sense of, of, of yeah it's not as raw and guttural but I also have to deal with these fucking studio people I think that actually fits with the fact that he's trying to do this overtly 50s style home that's completely a lie yeah again it's another juxtaposition where I think it it works that it's clean because you're showing this woman do these awful things but on the surface she's trying to look this certain way so I think the style of film works in in its favor completely that's what he said he said the original pitch was it's not the usual John Waters movie about crazy people in a crazy world but a movie about a normal person in a realistic world doing the craziest thing of all as the audience cheers her on Mm. I also I also love you talking about the uh, cleanliness one of my favorite lines uh, I think her kid says the word shit and she just goes you know how I hate the brown word the brown (laughs) word (laughs) also fucking shout outs to a crossover for us Joan Rivers serial hags women who who love men who mutilate (laughs) Uh, fuck yeah dude that was apparently John Waters and Joan Rivers were friends in real life and they very much respected each other and that makes so much sense because they both said what they wanted to fucking say when they wanted to say it and what I do also love and enjoyed uh, while watching Serial Mom is knowing that John Waters thinks that this is his best movie Mm. he said that a little bit um that he identifies with Serial Mom because there's also a lot of things like I hate people who chew gum. It gets on my nerves. I don't like summer white worn after Labor Day. A lot of things that Serial Mom disliked, I sympathize with her. The problem is that everyone has little things which get on their nerves every day that they could kill people for, but they don't do it literally. They do it figuratively. So I I enjoyed that the two people that I've seen of all the things that I read through that he identifies with are Tracy Turnblad and Serial Mom. Mm, totally. <laughs> oh, that's great. He said his favorite thing about shooting Serial Mom was having Kathleen Turner on set. Uh, quote, that was kind of electrifying because she was such a pro and such a good actress. She doesn't suffer fools, but was a complete team player. As long as you were on your game, she was even better. So I have great memories of being with her through the whole movie. It's uh, also an interesting contrast to... Uh I, they were a few years apart, but she did that movie Peggy Sue Got Married, where she's again playing sort of like love a it, 50s love character. It, love it, love it. I love it. But a very movie. different one. 
I know. I love that movie. Too. I, uh, here's a good uh, story from Waters about Kathleen Turner that just makes her seem so badass. We built all of the sets in a warehouse in some kind of industrial park. And then as we started to shoot, we realized that there was a wood place very near that used wood chippers and buzz saws all day. So we had to go over there with Kathleen and beg them not to, which how could they not do it? That's their whole factory. But they did somehow work with us. And I think Kathleen helped a lot to negotiate the buzz saws that were running, ruining our sound takes, which is <laughs> you normally wouldn't expect your lead actress, especially as big of a name as hers, to go and negotiate with a bunch of lumberjacks in a wood but, mill. you know, it works. If yeah. you can get that actress to go over there, you can get I don't the fucking care buzz saws and if stuff. she kills. I want Kathleen Turner to be my wife. I am completely <laughs> in love with Kathleen Turner, the husky voice, and really the way she says pussy willow um <laughs> it gets me there so funny her the way her prank phone call voice was so funny i just immediately uh, was like dying so laughing funny and also apparently mink stole had said who plays the woman that she is mink stole's calling great by the, the way <laughs> and it's even just the the letter that she sends her it's just it's so fucking so funny good. and mink stole said this is the first time that john waters kept asking her to tone it down uh, in a movie that mink she was stole in is fantastic and I, it actually always takes me a minute to find her in the movies because she <laughs> always like kind of transforms herself for the different parts oh so yeah i was really excited to see her playing this divorced lady <laughs> with the perm um he did have to battle with execs over the ending as well they wanted her to go you know become imprisoned which really he he felt like would defeat the whole purpose i will say my one complaint i think that um it, it does suffer from some third act problems i think once she gets taken in i think the courtroom scene feels a little long and the yeah. tooth and but I uh, love the Suzanne Summers bit. Yes, I think that's really that's fucking great. Amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, the Suzanne Summers cameo is amazing. And the ending is really solid. But um uh yeah, that would be the only thing I'd have to say about it. But it was only because of how splashy and fun everything up to the court stuff and is. And we were talking about this before too, and that of all the things that I've watched John Waters this week, I think that them eating the Tiny Chickens was the most disgusted I had yeah. been in all of the movies. I had to turn away. I don't I don't want to watch that. But it's insane that he just put that in a mainstream movie and it's fine. Also, the fuck, fuck that dental scene. When he's ouch, drilling ouch, ouch, into the tooth. Ouch, 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 ouch. Yeah, that one's rough, too. I had to look away. Uh -uh. I had to look away. That one's mm. rough, too. Um, there you go. And I didn't even look away <laughs> when Divine ate actual dog shit. And I had to look away during the dental Yeah, scene. me too. <laughs> but I have to say, with Serial Mom, the, the band Camel Lips is... <laughs> L7, L7, which was so oh. exciting. And I forgot that they were in this because I was so young last time I, I saw it. Yeah, and that was great. fucking exciting. Uh, L7's a, a, an awesome punk band. But um, and if you didn't notice that <laughs> in the close-ups, the band Camelips, if their pants... They had all they the had camel toes. They all had camel yeah, toes so in funny. the pants. No, no, I was definitely like... <laughs> like <laughs> I was like out of it sick as a dog and on heavy edibles while watching Serial Mob. Uh, the best way to see it, I think. Um, all right. Next comes Pecker. And, full of grace. Uh, full of grace. I <laughs> have seen this movie hundreds of times. Oh, really? And I forget about how many times I had seen it because it was on Comedy Central all yeah. the time. That's true. That's true. It was, and so much of it, though, 
I realized now was cut out right. because it was on Comedy Central. And I was like, oh, that makes so much more sense with the teabagging scene. Sure. Oh, they're showing pussy hair in the in the photographs. How, now yeah, I get it. It's crazy because I'm sure that I, I think I saw it more on um, rental than Comedy Central, but I remember it being on all the time. But that movie doesn't make any sense with all the doesn't make any sense out. and that's why I think I never would have said that it was my one of my favorite movies or by any means it was just a movie that was always on yeah. because it was on mm-hmm. uh, yes the 1998 comedy drama starring Eddie Edward Furlong uh, you might remember him from Terminator 2 with Christina Ricci among many others uh, about a young photographer in Baltimore that catches the eye of pretentious artists in NYC that make him famous that sounds like a John Waters plot to me on a budget of 6.5 million so less than half of what he was working with or about half of what he was working with last film and he had to go to court about the title which is insane to me because the MPAA turned it down at first I love it so when he went into court the lawyers just had a list of titles like Shaft, Free Willy, <laughs> In and Out. And he said he gave a little speech saying, Pecker might be vulgar, but it's not an obscene word. This is a movie about someone who wants his good name back. And in this case, the good name is Pecker. <laughs> but what I still like is that even though he got his way, he still stuck it to him. And that if you look it up, it is called John Waters, quote, like with the... What is it? What's that? Waters' name? Is, uh, ampers- apostrophe. Apostrophe. John Waters' is pecker. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so it's still dirty because it's John Waters' pecker. Sure. People do think it is, uh, and, it, and they are right, it is slightly autobiographical, especially the character of Pecker as John Waters himself. He said the character is and isn't. John Waters, that is. Some of the things that happened to Pecker happened to me. Things about success, people thinking I made a billion dollars off of Pink Flamingos, which is hilarious to me, uh, personally. And Who people uh, coming to Baltimore, uh, as in the film, and saying, show me the low life. That's definitely based on reality. Also, I did do photography the last five years. I was heavily involved in the art world, which I know something about. But when I started, I didn't live in a blue-collar neighborhood like Pecker. I was ambitious. I was, quote, in on the joke. I wasn't naive about any of it. So I'm not Pecker. I think it's kind of fun, too, that the um, so the photographer, there was a photographer on set that took all of Pecker's photos, and his name was Chuck Shakak. Chicakis, I, I believe is how you say his last name. I just, and it doesn't he, matter. It's just fun to hear you try to say it. Jackie. I think it's Chicakis. <laughs> and he had actually served Waters multiple times at the camera shop where he worked in Baltimore. And so Chicakis would be on set <laughs> taking the photographs that are used in the movie. Nice. So he wasn't taking them in advance. He was doing it on set. And after a take, he would duck in, take a photo real fast, and then he would immediately run to his lab so that by the end of the day, he could have the photos back in John Waters' hands so that they can use them on the set the following day. And he said, sometimes he'd end up with only a couple of usable frames, such as when he was tasked with shooting two rats having sex. Man, he He loves rat puppets. He does. He says, every day I'd be like, please God, please God, let there be something here that can work. Waters wanted the photographs Ah. to look deliberately amateur, so Shakakis printed through a piece of glass that he covered in dirt and tea bag stains. He made about 30 prints in total and was forced to turn all the negatives over to the producers when the filming ended. Mm. I think Chicakis is a dirtier name than Peshikakis. Chicakis. Chicakis. Also, I did want to say that I need to try pit beef. 
I've not had it yet, and I'm very intrigued. And apparently, oh, John Jackie, Waters no. is not a fan of pit beef. Jackie, <laughs> no, don't do it. <laughs> he said, once I went out with a guy who was a pit beef guy, and I loved having him tell stories about the pit beef king. I like rare meat, and pit beef always seems like it's cooked to death, which is why he's not a huge fan of it. Oh, pit beef. Scrapple. Pit beef is difficult. Yeah, he also said, Scrapple's another Baltimore oh, dish scrapple. that I've had in my movies, and I don't like that either. It's basically fried mystery meat, which... It is. Yes, that is exactly, oh, that's what, exactly it is. what it is. Yeah, Scrapple. Na- Natalie, you can attest to these things? I mean, I, I know of... I never ate Scrapple. <laughs> I've been a vegetarian... Well, I've been a pescatarian. Let's not... She's a pesky. I still eat fish. <laughs> uh, but even when I was living in Baltimore, I, I was not a meat eater. But ah. all the gross college kids around me ate Scrapple all the time. <laughs> What is scrapple? It is. It's like it's like it's a just pan, fried. Yeah, it's basically like a, a fried pancake of meat. It's just called <laughs> meat with a capital M. Because the thing no, is, what it is. I, um, I don't want to be a contrarian here, but <laughs> I've had scrapple before. You know what? You slap <laughs> some yolks on it. You put some hot right. sauce on it, and all mixed together. Right. Yum. I mean, it's probably close to whatever a hot dog is. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Give it a dog. All right. Let's get this dog uh, cooking with the next movie. <laughs> oh, no. Someone needs to work I on say. I know. We all need to work on our transitions. <laughs> Starting by not talking about how they're transitioning. <laughs> That's our first um, task. Classic, classic podcast joke talking about how good or terrible transition was. A segue was. <laughs> Uh, Cecil B. Demented uh, is the next. Now, this may have technically been the first John Waters movie I watched, which I feel like is kind of a crime. Really? Because I think Cecil B. Demented is a lot of fun and it's interesting, but it is not not near the movie I would recommend. How old were you when you watched it? Oh, uh, I, I believe I rented it from Blockbuster when I was like in high school. Okay. See, I always saw the outside of it at Blockbuster and I thought it was like a dark, dingy action movie because the outside of the VHS right. is completely not what the movie is. So this was my first time watching it and I enjoyed it very much, but I kind of almost felt like it was, it was like, okay, we get it. We do get it. Right. I, I, you do get it. I get it. Goes a little long, maybe. I do remember having that uh, same feeling watching it at home. It is about an A-list Hollywood actress who is kidnapped by art house filmmakers to star in their movie. And I do love that premise a lot. It's also, I did not know a lot about the kidnapping Patty of Patricia Hearst in 1974. Mm-hmm. She does have a cameo in the film, which I think is amazing. Um, Hearst was just 19 at the time when she was kidnapped from her Berkeley apartment by an urban guerrilla group. She was the granddaughter, she is the granddaughter of the William Randolph Hearst publishing fortune. So it's completely what this movie is based yeah. on. It is definitely, it is influenced by the Patty Hearst trial because she was also kidnapped and and she uh, underwent Stockholm Syndrome, we think. It is still not quite sure. But she she claims that she was like raped and everything. Yes. But yeah, there. I mean, there's that iconic photo of her on the, um, the... Is it, I think, a bank yes. with her with the robbing it on. with them and with the bray and the gun. Um, but yeah, she, and I believe her. I mean, oh, of course. I mean, yeah. that's it, it is still, it's just they, right. they claim that it's up in the air. Right. But John Waters was completely fascinated with Patty Hearst. Of course. Because he, as we had said earlier, he was fascinated by crimes and trials from a young age. But he actually went to the Manson trials. He went to that's Patty wild. Hearst's trial. He, that's how much he was fascinated because he wanted to see the entire process. He said that it was the infamy of crime that fascinates him much more than the crime itself. 
himself. Yeah. And they actually had a friendship because while all everything that was going on in 94 with O.J. Simpson, that they would talk, they were actually talking on the phone throughout the entire Bronco chase, he and Patty Hearst, just talking about what was going on and how the infamy of crime takes over the crimes itself and and makes a mockery of the entire judicial system. Mm. And this will come into play further on too when John Waters, he's very openly against the death penalty. He's, uh, he's open, like he really f- is fighting for lots of different things that he doesn't feel is right with the judicial system because he sits in, and he's obsessed with it. And he actually uh, befriends people who are in Notorious That's why trials. now she's in all the uh, he's, she's in a bunch of his movies because mm-hmm. it's like, well, I think you got a bad rep. I think that it wasn't fair what happened to you. So why don't we work together? And she's so fun and engaging in those movies. Yeah. And this fun, the rest of this cast: Melanie Griffith, Stephen Dorff, Alicia Witt, Adrian Greenier, Michael Shannon, Maggie mm-hmm. Gyllenhaal. Oh my God, Maggie Gyllenhaal as the Satanist though, which is <laughs> very funny because she's drinking goat blood. She making, like they're just she gets doing to play all the fun parts. <laughs> such a cartoonish version of it, but I think That's it's awesome. also they sing this no budget rap song in the middle of it, <laughs> where it's like no craft services, no budget, and they're doing this entire thing about how the movie they're making in the movie has no budget, while also. So I, I don't. I didn't record the budget of Cecil B. Demented, but I couldn't imagine it was very large. No, and I did. <laughs> no I will way. say, I wrote down the quote: "Family is just a dirty word for censorship," <laughs> which, of course, is a play into what happened with him with hairspray and with Crybaby, and uh, that is something. That is when finally Melanie Griffith is given her own spot to say one of the quote lines in the movie that she's allowed to improv, and that is what she says yeah, as she's funny. being uh, undergoing. Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> um, all right, do we want to move on to hairspray going to Broadway? I know we're we're getting. I know we're getting to the end. We just have so many things. We have so many things. Yeah, please There's stop so me things. if I'm moving too fast because I want no, to get it all go. in here. Um, so hairspray. Uh, so theater producer Margot Lyon saw the original film on television at a time when she was scoping movies for a potential musical. She ends up getting John Waters on the phone, and he gives her his blessing. And then she acquires the rights from New Line Cinema. Classy move, Margot. Classy move. They tried the production out at Seattle's Fifth Avenue Theater, and it was a big enough hit that they were able to take it to Broadway in August of 2002. This this thing is a giant hit it wins eight tony awards including best musical best book best score and direction it runs for over six years this always blows my mind about successful musical performances it it went it had 2642 performances insane fucking crazy i didn't do a ton of research on it because that technically it's not like john waters is It's just a testament to how timeless that story is. And I love that it got a second life and crossover again. John Travolta, of course, taking on Divine's part as the mother and doing uh, having having a bit of a resurgence himself because of that. Yeah. And it's great. It's just fun to like it's titillating to know from the side of somebody who likes John Waters dirtier films that like yeah that that he actually transitioned into a family musical yeah a lot of people probably don't even know is his work i mean but there's still like the whole song it's like the black of the berries the sweet of the (laughs) yeah it's definitely not like a clean 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 but that's what i like about it is that it's, it's put into an entire you know 
it's put into the box of like this family friendly thing, but it still has like some edge to it. Yes. Oh yeah, definitely. It definitely does. What I love too is on Amazon, not only can you see they made a movie of it, of course, that w- that that had some good success, but also they have a live, uh, a, f- a filmed version of the live Broadway performance that you can check out, which is fantastic. Love so, it. Uh, holy shit. Do we now, does this where we talk about a dirty shame, which I didn't know anything about. We can, we I think we can episode. just touch upon it and Let's then move on. Let's just touch upon it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's touch. I mean, it is a, I, it is a movie that he, made Joe, again the i cast appreciate is amazing the oh, cast yeah. is amazing tracy ullman johnny knoxville selma blair chris isaac suzanne shepherd and of course mink stoll who is one of i believe is it just her or i think there's one other one who's in every single one of his movies period and, and mary vivian mary pierce. vivian pierce that's it's and an some amazing of side characters too are in all of his movies mm-hmm. um they, i don't even know their names but they show up for like little parts and about johnny knoxville which we had talked about again last episode we touched upon John Waters has said, I think the only person working today who matches the Pink Flamingo sensibility is Johnny Knoxville and the Jackass movies. I love them. We were just trying, (laughs) we were never just trying to shock. We were trying to be funny. That's why these gross out comedies that Hollywood spends $100 million on making aren't funny. There's no love in there, just mean spiritedness. I 100% agree with that. A thousand. He's so right. Yes. And I like that this movie is made with silly fun in mind. Mm. Absolutely. (laughs) He says it is um, a feel-good, sex fetish, miracle religious movie, quote-unquote, as Waters put it. (laughs) You know that genre. And uh, it was inspired, actually, by Waters' discovery of sexual slang terms online. This is very influenced by the wild uh, fetish... uh, just explosion that happened uh, with the advent of the internet. He said, the only thing that shocked me about all of the fetishes was that none of them had a sense of humor about it. Every one of those, they're dead serious. I did an interview with American Bear Magazine and they call it coming out of the second closet. I, with a straight face, thought, I understand if you've told your parents you're gay and they accepted it, but then you say, mom, dad, sit down. I have something else to tell you. I'm a bear. You're a what? (laughs) And they don't think it's funny. They really take this seriously. Bears have cuddle orgies, something that is really repellent to me. Repellent to me. (laughs) But all of them are serious about it. There's not a lot of humor about it. And I do think that is one of the more interesting things with the internet and how we are not allowed to, to at all laugh about some of these things that really I feel like we should have more of a sense of humor about. But now we have to take everybody's uh, taste and fetish and everything so too seriously. I, I do think I do think that's also partly because of the fact Hollywood makes movies where they only take of they mock the other all the time in such a mean way because they don't get irony or have any kind of empathy. So right. it's hard to like sort of differentiate between what's us all laughing together or being laughed at. Right. And I also think it goes hand in hand with how John Waters felt uh, about just coming out in general because according to him, he's like, I never have come out. I didn't come out to my parents. I, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, I didn't have to come out to Hollywood. I just am. You just, mm, I right. am what I am yeah. and I never needed to come out. Right. Because why am I going to put such 
Why is he going to put such seriousness behind it? Like even just what he was saying in this of like the sit down to let you know that this is what I am. He's like, this is what I am. But I do feel like being gay is probably the most normal thing about John Watts. It is yeah, probably it the most normal thing. Yes. I'm just gay, so don't. <laughs> he claimed that he asked the MPAA uh, what he needed to remove to get an R rating. This is John Waters. <laughs> Uh, the movie is NC-17, and apparently they told him that they stopped taking notes after a while, and that if he removed the necessary stuff, there'd only be 10 minutes of movie there. Sounds about, I mean, sounds about right. Just even in the trailer of it, it is Tracy Ullman sitting on a water bottle yes. that is in the trailer of the movie. Oh yeah, baby. And it ends with uh, Johnny Knoxville's character Ray Ray shooting semen out of his head to become the Messiah. You know. You know. <laughs> And that is the last uh, film he made. He did do, um, what is it called? Kitty Flamingos, I believe. Yeah, where he Kitty had Flamingos, a group of yes. kids do a reading uh, or perform and perform a, uh, a, a less filthy version of Pink Flamingos. It's like a, which... it's like a kid-friendly version of Pink Flamingos. And he's actually had three development deals since A Dirty mm. Shame. He said he wrote Fruitcake, which is something that he was paid to write and it, that it was with Picture House and New Line. Then it all, it, like, I guess a t- person named Bob Shea came in and everything changed. Then he got paid by NBC to write Hairspray as a TV series and that never went anywhere. And then he got paid by HBO to write the sequel to Hairspray, which he originally wanted to do the sequel to Hairspray um, and use the title that he had written for Hairspray originally, which was called White Lipstick. Yes. So he wanted to write Hairspray 2 White Lipstick, which would take place in the late 60s, and the story would include Link dabbling in LSD, which... Please, HBO. Please. please make this movie. Please. I will watch the fuck out of this movie. Uh, and uh, yeah, that those are just the films. Of course, John Waters has done so many other things as an artist. He has been ex- uh, exhibiting his photography in art galleries since the early 90s, including at NYC's New Museum and the Baltimore Museum of Art. Please look up his art. His mm. art is absolutely amazing. This was, a, uh, yeah, this was a surprise to me. I didn't know any of this. As we were talking about last week's episode, he was obsessed with puppets. So what does he do with his own visual art that he makes? He makes a lot of puppets, as well as doing a lot of Photoshop pictures and that are all very um, creepy and surreal. If you look up John Waters, Los Angeles, it's him as if he had lived in Los Angeles and he's got all this face work done. It's a very unsettling picture. He did the same kind of thing to a picture of Justin Bieber, but he's actually and he says quote i am a believer he's actually a fairly big fan of justin bieber and they have met a couple of times and so he got permission to use his visage in his gallery but what he says is we all know contemporary art can be witty but can it be funny i actually think that it can so he made things like this i can it's described it's called play date 2006. It is a sculpture of two dolls of Michael Jackson and Charles Manson as babies and he worked with Tony Gardner who made Chucky in the Child's Play movies to make these very unsettling baby dolls but what I loved of his puppet work was a um, sculpture called Control and it is Ike Turner as a puppeteer pulling the strings on Tina Turner. 
He said, quote, I was a puppeteer as a child. I loved Ike and Tina Turner very much. I get why she hated him, but I still think she was the best when she was with him, singing-wise. It was a look at the melodrama of that. That's what his sculpture was for, which that is a rough thing to say. But if you have ever looked up videos of Ike and Tina Turner (laughs) on stage, it's fire. They were fired together on yeah. stage. Horrible human being. Yes. was a horrible human being and was horrible to her. Mm-hmm. But on stage, I will give him that. They were fired. Uh, he's also, you already mentioned one of his books that he did. Uh, one of the, uh, the one that, that I will admit, I have, I, I, I'm actually really excited to pick this one up. I, I'm going to probably put an order in on it in the next day or so. He put out a book called Car Sick, which recounted his experience hitchhiking across the U.S. from Baltimore to San Francisco, purposely starting with zero cash. And of course, the most memorable moment from that trip was being picked up by a re- Republican 20-year-old guy named Brett Beidel, who not only took him to Ohio, but again found him in Denver, purposely sought him out in Denver, and took him all the way to Reno, Nevada. Uh, Beidel said, we are polar opposites when it comes to our politics, religious beliefs, but that's what I loved about the whole trip. It was two people able to agree to disagree and still move on and have a great time. I think that's what America's all about. And I love that that little story, and uh, I really want to read it. His other books, you already mentioned uh, Shock Value. He also did Mr. Cr- Know-It-All. Uh, Crackpot, The Obsessions of John Waters, which I believe Jeff read, right? mm mm-hmm. uh, Recently. There's also Art, a sex book <laughs> that he put out. Uh, Role Models, uh, Mac Trouble, and Mr. Know-It-All, The Tarnished Wisdom of a Filth Elder. So, of course, not just a book filth lover, elder. but a book writer as well. And he he's makes, got his own he, one-man show yeah, as well. This filthy yes. world is... Uh, I think we mentioned it last time, but it's really entertaining, and it's directed by the comedian Jeff Garland, which is another weird thing Hell about yeah. it. But yeah, it's cool. Uh, definitely something. It's hard to find. It used to be streaming on Netflix mm. for years, and now you kind of have to get the DVD of yeah, it. You got to get the DVD. <laughs> And something else that I love that he's delved into, because again, he is just, he's a renaissance man, for yeah. sure. For the past couple of years, he's been doing this thing called Camp John Waters that is in Connecticut, and it is a sleepaway camp experience ha. that he rents out this whole adult camp. I was so jealous and, when I heard about this. Dude, I this know. year, the guest counselors are Kathleen Turner, Patty Hearst, and Mink Stoll. Wow. I immediately was like, I want to go do this. It's, of course, completely sold out. Of course. They do things like they have themed dance parties is this every year yeah there's way this this year in september john waters performs a one his one man show there's hairspray karaoke there's bloody mary bingo wow i I, there's a john waters costume contest that's judged by john waters himself it is (laughs) anti-camp for people that love camp that's amazing I want to go so. I want to oh, go we so badly. Try to go one of yeah. these years. It just looks like it's so much fun, and that he. I love that he wants to be involved with people. He wants to talk yeah. to people. He wants to get to know the people that also are obsessed with his work because that's who he made it for. He made it for himself, but he made it for us. Yeah. Totally. I love John Waters. I love, and him I didn't too. know I love John Waters. Now I really love John Waters. <laughs> Uh, that's that's the beauty of doing these episodes is for us, we get to find these amazing stories and learn so much more than I ever thought uh, uh, was possible to know. You know, uh, I apologize. I feel guy. like we rushed through some of the stuff uh, because there's just so much. So He's much. just done so much. It's true. And, and it is a lot to take in in one week. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have the opportunity, I would say spread out your viewings <laughs> of John Waters movies. There's a 
at least a few moments in every movie that are going to make you feel kind of sick. <laughs> so I feel like I'm going to miss hearing the Baltimore accent. Yeah. It's it very is, close to Pittsburgh. It's it similar. Is. Mm-hmm. It's a very yeah. specific accent, and I really <laughs> like noticing the specific words that people say that I'm just like, there it is. There it is. <laughs> Hell yeah. My uh, my theory on why Pittsburgh and Baltimore have the clo- have close accents is because they're both river cities, and ah. I feel like there's a chance that river people kind of came through both cities oh, and yes. would kind of like exchange goods and stuff. And that's yeah, I'll exchange some goods. The <laughs> problem is I need to get James, I gotta get John Waters out of my head. I've been disgusting. I really <laughs> amped up how disgusting I am. Again, from under cheese. When was the last time you said the phrase from under cheese? Not since my wedding night. <laughs> well, there you have it. Uh, that is our episode on John Waters. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode yeah. of Pop History. Uh, you guys are the best. Uh, check us out um, on patreon.com forward slash P7 podcast. You can follow me, twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho, Jackie. And don't forget, my lords and lassies, you can listen to Page <laughs> 7 for free on Spotify, guys. And guess what? We're scooting on over there on Valentine's Day. That's February 14th. For those of you who don't give an H about Valentine's Day. But why wait? You can download and listen to all of our episodes right now with a free account on Spotify. So go ahead, follow the whole Last Podcast Network on Spotify to get new episodes as soon as they come out. My name is Natalie Jean. You can follow me on all the bullshit at the Natty Jean. Hell yeah. Thank you so much again, everybody, and take care. Bye. Bye. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.